Good morning. Please stand that we can affirm our faith together. That we worship God, Creator Christ, and Holy Spirit, in whose image we are made, to whose service we are summoned, by whose energy we are renewed. This, this we believe. That it is central to the mission of Christ to respect the earth as God's possession, to rejoice in the diversity of human culture, to preserve human life in all its beauty and frailty, to witness to the love of God for all people and all places, and to invite others to share that converting experience. This we believe. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, the persecuted shall be lifted up and the wicked shall stumble. The hesitant prayers and hidden actions of God's people shall change the course of human history. The ancient words of Scripture shall startle us with fresh insight. This we believe. That God has called the church into being to be the servant of the kingdom, to be a sign of God's new order, to offer a foretaste on earth of the magnificence of heaven. This we believe. That Christ, fully aware of our differences, so that the world might believe. This, this we, we believe, believe and, and to this, this we are committed, committed for the love, love of God, God in the, the way, way of Christ, Christ by, by the, the power, power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. We sing together. Come, now is the time to worship.
as we remain standing, we're going to read together some words from Psalm 37. Do not be anxious because of the wicked, or envious of those who do wrong, for they will wither as quickly as grass, and fade like the green of the field. Trust in God and do what is good. Settle down and be at peace. Let God be your delight. And grant your heart's desire. Give your life over to God. To act on your behalf. To make your integrity shine forth. And your justice as bright as noon. Be still before God. Wait patiently. Not envying those who prosper. Nor fretting at those whose malicious plans... Bring down the needy and the poor. Stop your ranting and calm your rage. For anger creates further trouble. The reign of the wicked will be short-lived. The land will belong to the humble. Depart from evil and do what is good. Live forever in peace. For God is the lover of justice and will never abandon the faithful. I have seen the oppressors triumph, towering like cedars of Lebanon. When I passed by again, they were gone. I searched, but they could not be found. So look for the honest and look to the righteous. The future belongs to the peacemakers. God is their help, their deliverer their refuge in times of distress. Amen. By faith we seize the hand of God. Power of the Spirit to the Lord. 
It is of supreme importance that we get our image of Jesus right. For there are too many blithering idiots, well-meaning people, religious schismatics, church leaders, Marxists, Tories, anarchists, establishment figures, who are leading, leading people astray. astray. So listen carefully. Jesus, as we all know, came from a model family. His mother was pregnant when she got married. And lived in a secure home. They were refugees. As the old hymn says, throughout his wondrous childhood, about which we know next to nothing, he was mild and obedient. He did a bunk when he was 12. <laughs> Jesus was the model working man. He came redundant when he was 30. Encouraging entrepreneurship in others. He told Peter, Andrew, James, John, Matthew to give up their jobs. He kept good company. Dining out with beggars and prostitutes. He had a good word for everybody. Vipers, blind guides, hypocrites. His conversation was about the finer things in life. Doe, sheep, pig farming, wise virgins. He never dabbled with controversy. He just claimed to be the son of God. Jesus never upset anyone by his language. Except priests, Pharisees, pigeon sellers, executioners, and wealthy young men. He was respected in religious circles. They wanted to lynch him after his first sermon. Jesus was a man among men. And women. He was a man of God. 
He was the son of God. In his majesty, we see God at work. In his humility, we meet God in person. That's why he was worshipped. That's why he was crucified. Jesus isn't here now. He rose again on the third day. So we have to get on with it ourselves. He sent his Holy Spirit to guide us. We have to build the kingdom. We have to celebrate his presence among us. We have to give a lead. We are to follow where he calls. Stand up and be counted. Humbly. Like soldiers. As servants. We are a mighty army. We are the body of Christ. It is of supreme importance. That we get our image of Jesus. Right. Habakkuk, the prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen, or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflicts abounds. Conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I will stand at the watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. <coughs> the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now, sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty.
sing together, Lord, I come to you. And at the end of this song, we'll receive the offering. have to give doesn't amount to much in the light of all you have given to us and in the face of so much need. Put together as a congregation, what we offer you here in love becomes more, not simply added together, but somehow multiplied in its usefulness. We ask you to bless our gifts, that with the addition of your blessing, just as it was with the loaves and fishes, there will be enough for all. Amen. Now we bless the members of our junior church with the words, the Lord, the Lord be, be with, with you.
Let us pray together. Let us pray for the breaking in of God's kingdom in our world today. Lord God, because Jesus has taught us to trust you in all things, we hold to his word and share his plea, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where nations budget for war, while Christ says, put up your sword, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where countries waste food and covet fashion, while Christ says, I was hungry, I was thirsty, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where powerful governments claim their policies are heaven-blessed, while scripture states that God helps the powerless, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where Christians seek the kingdom in the shape of their own church, as if Christ had come to build and not to break barriers, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where women who speak up for their dignity are treated with scorn or contempt, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where men try hard to be tough because they're afraid to be tender, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where we, obsessed with being adult, forget to become like children, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where our prayers falter, our faith weakens, our light grows dim, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where Jesus Christ calls us, your kingdom come, your will be done. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our ears to hear it, our hands to serve it, our hearts to hold it. This we pray in Jesus' name. In you, gracious God, the widowed find a carer, the orphaned find a parent, the fearful find a friend. In you, the wounded find a healer, the penitent find a pardoner, the burdened find a counsellor. In you, the miserly find a beggar. The despondent find a laughter maker. The legalists find a rule breaker. In you, Jesus Christ, we meet our maker and our match. And if some need to say, help me, and if some need to say, save me, and if some need to say, hold me, and if some need to say, forgive me, then let these be said now in confidence by us.
O Christ, in whose heart is both welcome and warning, say to us, do to us, reveal within us the things that will make us whole. And we will wait, and we will praise you. Amen. Stand and sing together the ancient hymn, Be Thou My Vision.
you ever wish you had more faith? Well, you're in good company. According to today's reading from Luke's Gospel, some of Jesus' first followers, possibly the 12 who were closest to him, wished they had more faith, and so asked Jesus to increase their faith. Perhaps they, like many of us, thought they'd be more effective followers of Jesus if they had more faith. Like the fuel gauges in our cars indicate the changing levels of petrol or diesel in the tank, so we might imagine our level of faith being measured anywhere from full of faith to the refueling warning light uh, glowing red, uh, but with the needle most commonly found somewhere in the middle, meaning there's always room for more faith in order to go further. Jesus, however, rejects this perspective on faith as misguided. So far as he is concerned, it's not how much faith you have, but simply that you have faith. Using picture language, Jesus tells those disciples wanting more faith that faith the size of the tiniest seed can effortlessly move a mulberry tree, a species well known to those people for the depth and extent of its root system. This is because faith is focused on the God for whom all things are possible. It is his power at work through those who want his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven that makes things happen, not the amount of faith those people can generate. It's not how much faith you have, but that you simply have faith. God will be at work powerfully in his will through those who, simply having faith in him, allow his will to be done in their lives. And since it is the power of God at work in them, such people are servants of God. And Jesus pulls no punches in asserting that as servants, they should not expect special thanks or praise for what God does through them. Rather, they should regard themselves as doing their duty. In an uncomfortable comparison for us in this day and age, Jesus draws on the disciples' unquestioning acceptance that a slave of their time would receive no thanks from his or her master for doing exactly as the master dictated, because that's what slaves are required to do. Jesus remarks to his disciples, so you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done our duty. <coughs> the idea of doing one's duty has come to prominence in our culture in recent weeks following the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Across all the tributes that poured in and all the people interviewed on television giving their opinion about the late queen, the note that resounded again and again and again was that she had, at a young age, committed herself to serving her people and that she had done her duty. She had done that which we, she, she had committed to, that which was therefore expected and required of her. Broadly speaking, the duty of followers of Jesus is, to quote again from our gospel reading this morning, to do everything he tells them to do. 
By the time we arrive at chapter 17 in Luke's story of Jesus, from where our reading this morning was taken, it is true that Jesus has told his disciples to do some extraordinary things, like driving out demons and healing people of diseases. That is, without question, evidence of the power of God at work in them. So is it not all the more remarkable, then, that their request for more faith comes in response to Jesus telling them to make sure they give no offence to others and take no offence at others, not even in the apparently farcical scenario of someone repeatedly offending them and repeatedly apologising in the same day. This apparently requires more faith than do exorcisms and healings. It's not how much faith you have, but that you simply have faith. Giving no offence and taking no offence are far from the only apparently more ordinary duties of discipleship. Consider this selection of things that Jesus has already told his disciples to do from when his public ministry begins in Luke's story up to the point from which Edward read this morning. Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who ill-treat you. Give to everyone who asks you. Do not demand back things taken from you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Be merciful. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Forgive. Do what I say, consider carefully how you listen. Be on your guard against hypocrisy. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Seek the kingdom of God. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Be dressed, ready for service. Humble yourself. We are very used these days to being able to choose from a great variety of options to customise almost anything to suit our flexible lifestyle. You can stream music when you want. You can binge watch TV series when you want. You can choose the options on your car and so forth. This list from Luke's Gospel of Duties of Discipleship is not a list of options from which we can choose a selection to suit our flexible lifestyle. These are duties to be done. It is what followers of Jesus are required to do. The disciples' request for more faith is to forgive, is effectively an admission that some duties that go with following Jesus are more attractive than others, or that some perhaps come to us more naturally than others. Our duty in following Jesus is not always our delight. It's at the, it is of the utmost importance, therefore, to remember that our service, our Christian duty, should be motivated by our faith, not by our feelings. 
We live at a time, however, where the prevailing mood in our culture is to elevate feelings as the ultimate guide to behavior. The name Eugene Peterson will be familiar to many of you as the man who produced the hugely popular everyday language version of the Bible called The Message. Many, many years before he produced The Message, Eugene Peterson wrote a book on discipleship called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And you won't beat that for a description of what it means to follow Jesus. In that book, he writes... We live in what one writer has called the age of sensation. We think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But, he goes on to say, the wisdom of God says something different, that we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship, he says, is an act that develops feelings for God, not a feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. When we obey the command to praise God in worship, our deep essential need to be in relationship with God is nurtured. Our feelings must be subjected to our faith, to what we know of God and his will and purposes for his world, and the part he graciously invites us to play in those purposes. Our feelings are not a reliable guide to doing our duty as followers of Jesus. Disciples had feelings, of course they did. But disciples are formed by faith, not by feelings. As Tom Wright, the former Bishop of Durham and one of our leading Christian thinkers and writers, states in his book on Christian living called Virtue Reborn, Lots of people feel very strongly that we should bomb our enemies, that we should execute serious criminals and castrate rapists, that we should abolish income taxes and let the fittest survive. Lots of other people feel very strongly that we should do none of these things. An exchange of feelings may tell us where the pressure points are likely to come, but it won't tell us what is the right thing to do. An exchange of feelings may tell us where the pressure points are likely to come, but it won't tell us what is the right thing to do. Now, just as an aside to think about, how different might the discussions at our church meetings be if our feelings were obediently subjected to our faith? Remember, it's not how much faith you have, but simply that you have faith. What difference would it make to our discussions if our feelings were obediently subjected to our faith as we seek together to discern the mind of Christ as those committed to being transformed by the renewing of our minds, as Paul puts it in Romans 12, verse 2. Since our faith, its presence, not quantity, is the motivation for our obedience, we must consider, of course, what we mean when we speak of having faith in God. All too often, possibly without realising it, we speak of our faith in God as simply the assurance that heaven awaits us when we die. That's involved, of course, but that's a tiny part of what's going on when we say we have faith in God. That way of thinking, that primary focus on where we are going when this is all over, leads all too easily to understanding our duty of obedience as somehow keeping God on side. Yes, you know, 
We know the drill by now. We know that our eternal life is God's gift of grace. But it can't hurt to build up some good behavior to be taken into account should we ever be at risk of him taking back his gift. We're back to the fuel gauge mentality. We need more faith to be more effective to secure greater rewards. And as we've already said, the problem of seeing faith like the fuel in the car is that we slip into thinking that it's our level of faith that makes things happen rather than the power of God. In a sense, the focus of our faith is our faith rather than God. Now that easily leads us into all sorts of problems like the the hugely pastorally insensitive one of suggesting that if only people had more faith, they would be healed as though it were down to them. By extension, it also implies that if we attain this or that level of faith, then God is somehow duty-bound to do this or that for us by way of reward. In other words, we come to think that God is somehow in our debt. Who owes you a favour? Who, if you really needed to, could you lean on emotionally, if not physically, Phil Mitchell style, to get them to do something for you by beginning a conversation with the words, I need to call in a favour. Or to put it another way, whose back did you once scratch, whom you feel therefore should now scratch yours when the time comes? Who do you consider is currently in your debt on account of what you've done for them in the past? Well, of course, we may not want to admit that we consider anyone in our debt, but that doesn't mean we don't. Very likely, we will only realise who we consider to be in our debt when it seems to us that they refuse to pay that debt. When they're unavailable to help us at the drop of a hat, for example. When their generosity is, to our mind, lacking. When their hospitality isn't sufficiently quickly forthcoming for us, Or when their interest in our life seems so much less intense than the interest we took in their life a while ago. If we're honest, it is all too easy to live with the sense, albeit at the very, very back of our minds, that things we've done for others leave those people in our debt, that they owe us, and that they ought to cough up when we decide that payment is due. And if it's easy for us to imagine other people being in our debt on account of the things we've done for them, then it's also all too easy for us to imagine that God, albeit at the back of our minds, is in our debt on account of the things we do for him. You know the drill. Lord, I've read my Bible, I've said my prayers, I've gone to church, even when, as you already know, it bores me rigid. So you owe me. This is emphatically not the nature of Christian faith. Our duty of obedience exists not to twist God's arm, but because, and this is what we often forget, we are saved for a purpose, a really huge cosmic positive purpose to reflect God's image in his world, just as we were originally created to do. The duties of discipleship, the things Jesus tells us to do, they're not a random collection. They are the means by which we reflect the image of God in God's creation. More than that, they are the means by which God's power to renew his creation 
is seen and the primary means by which that renewal of creation takes place here and now. The whole point of the Gospels is for Matthew, Mark, Luke and John to say to people, in Jesus of Nazareth, God has broken into this world now and has launched new creation. It's happening. By humbly serving God in doing everything Jesus tells us to do, we are learning the habits of life that will characterize life in God's new creation. We are building now for the kingdom that is coming. To quote Tom Wright again, Christian behavior is not a matter of discovering what's going on in the world and getting in tune with it. It's not a matter of doing things to earn God's favor. It is not about trying to obey dusty rule books from long ago or far away. It is about practicing in the present the tunes we shall sing in God's new world. Doing our duty brings a little bit of heaven to earth. Living faithfully in the present world as those anticipating its renewal is what was required of Habakkuk in our Old Testament reading. Weary of the violence around him and the utter disregard for the things of God, Habakkuk complained to God, asking how long he must endure. And God's answer is essentially that Habakkuk must continue in faith. The faith that God will act to end the injustices suffered by his people that presently cause him to despair. He is called to live amid the ugliness as one trusting in God to restore its beauty. It's the same note that sounds through Psalm 37, which we read together as part of our service earlier. And it's the same theme that characterizes Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, where the apostle urges his young pastoral successor to continue boldly in proclaiming the gospel, even when it's hard, Secure in his sincere faith that in Jesus, God has indeed acted to rescue his world and launch his new creation. Timothy, says Paul, is to learn to do God's will by doing God's will. To develop his leadership and preaching gifts by using them. I remind you, says Paul to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. That gift will not be fanned into flame by sitting around saying, well, it's not perfect yet, so I can't use it. It's learning on the job. It's Timothy doing his duty. We only learn the habits of the new creation through the obedience that comes from faith, regardless of how we feel about it on a given day. Strictly is back on our screens. Yay! It provides actually a helpful analogy for what we're talking about today because we're in the early stages, week two last night. And what happens is these celebrities, many of whom have never danced before, have to start learning new dances. Just one a week for now. It will be two later in the series. And of course, because it's all new and they've never done it, at first it all seems quite unnatural to them. And like such hard work, that it's probably not particularly enjoyable. And you can see sometimes, that even when it comes to being on the dance floor, their mind is not sort of free to enjoy the dance. They are focused on the mechanics of where do my feet go? Where do my arms go? Am I keeping in time? So how do they get better? 
Do they get better by saying, I'm not enjoying this, I don't feel like continuing? They get better through practice. And through practice, the steps gradually, bit by bit, week by week, come more naturally, and the movement more freely. It's the same for us in doing our duty as disciples. There will be things we don't feel like doing, but we've been told to do them. We have a duty of obedience. And the more we do it, and only the more we do it, will those habits, those behaviours of the new creation come more naturally. The actions, the obedience will come more naturally, more freely, and like those dancers, we can eventually enter into the freedom of the dance, as it were, of doing our Christian duty. What once seemed very unnatural, a real battle of our will, suddenly comes to be, if not natural, then second nature. Motivated by our faith that in Jesus Christ God has acted decisively to exhaust the powers of evil and launch his new creation in the here and now, by doing our grateful duty of obedience, we reflect what that creation, new creation looks like. This is what we mean by faith. Believing that new creation is happening here and now and that we, by the grace of God, participate in it. Faith is not so much about us preparing for our departure. It is much more about preparing for Jesus' arrival to complete his work of new creation in which his followers, he says, will reign with him just as they were originally created to do, to do when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Their purpose was to reflect God's loving, wise rule in his creation. And that is what the work of Christ enables us to do in the new creation. Faith shows itself in the willing and humble service of obedience to all that Christ tells us to do. It's not how much of that faith you have, but simply that you have that faith and leave the rest to God. Amen. Our closing song is one that captures the sense of Christ himself.
To where you need us, Jesus, now lead on. From the security of what we know to the adventure of what you will reveal, Jesus, now lead on. To refashion the fabric of this world until it resembles the shape of your kingdom, Jesus, now lead on. Because good things have been prepared for those who love God, Jesus, now lead on. Amen.